Welcome to the Visegrad Inside podcast from Central Europe on Central Europe. Warm greetings to everyone listening to this week's podcast here at Visegrad Insight. My name is Malik Banat and I have the great honor of hosting Belarus expert Hanna Lubakova, a freelance journalist from Minsk who is also currently a non-resident fellow at the Atlantic Council. This week is particularly special because exactly a year ago, hundreds of thousands of Belarusians took to the streets in protests of the fraudulent results of the 2020 presidential elections. Now, I guess the most prevalent question is what has changed since then and where are we in terms of the democratic revolution in Belarus? Uh, well, firstly, I think this is not even the revolution. This is rather an evolution. The society has been evolving for the past decades, in at least um, in the past five years. I think we can talk about immense changes in the Belarusian society, which sort of led to, to that uprising, to, to this massive protest that we, we saw last year. These were unprecedented numbers for Belarus. There were hundreds of, of thousands of people on the streets. And um, Lukashenko, um, I think, got indeed scared because of that. At first, as you might remember, he really sort of ignored it. Like he tried not to show that, um, you know, he, he, wanted, he, he did not want to react to this um, protest and people were coming out to the streets. And again and again, every Sunday, there were, I think, more than 15 Sundays, consecutive Sunday, Sundays when, again, hundreds of thousands were on the street. And at some point, he understood that they would not come back home. So this is just, this is not going to be over because he thought that he would just, you know, let people protest and then they would just come down. And then when he understood that the point of no return has been passed and the society is not ready to accept him anymore, people are just disgusted with him. People were so tired of him before the elections that it was actually clear for me that these election results are not going to be um, sort of very favorable for 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 him and um yeah so so after that he got scared after that like by the end of october violence was back on the street um there were rubber bullets there were stun grenades again and people and again massive massive repressions dozens of thousands in jail and um now uh because of these repressions people are scared to go out to the streets and protest, but because the poor, I mean, because there is no way back because they just don't accept Lukashenko anymore and they are not ready to live with him in one country, as I may say. Um, um, they uh, are still mobilized. They are still self-organized. There are so many initiative, initiatives, examples of uh, kind of what they do inside the country on the ground. Many obviously had to flee. Many organizations, dozens of organizations have, be, have been shut down, have been liquidated, including this most important ones, such as Penn Center, which uh, Alexievich was the head of, Sudan Alexievich, the Nobel Prize winner. So the regime is trying to destroy every uh, uh, organization that was alive, every sort of ecosystem of civil society, media, and, and so on. But people, despite repressions, despite many are in jail or many had to flee, they're still trying to organize, self-organize and they're still trying to um, do something on the ground. 
And what would happen next? I think um, it depends on obviously how Lukashenko is going to behave. Now he feels so scared. He feels so cornered, cornered that he even kind of has to um, escalate repressions because he doesn't want to show to the people that he's weak. Um, but this might not uh, continue for, for long because this is kind of this state of continuous repressions is very. Um, expensive as well. So at some point, he will have to liberalize the situation. He will have to perhaps even release political prisoners or do some steps, right? If not him, then people in this in his closer circle would demand that because there is no solution to the crisis. I mean, Lukashenko is not able to propose any solution. So the, the status quo is not uh, something that makes his uh, officials, his security forces happy. Um, and when this moment comes, it might become actually another trigger for people to go out to the streets or do something to mobilize again, to maybe create other initiatives or some campaigns inside Belarus. And this trigger might be both the economic crisis, the liberalization, the reforms in the constitution that he's providing, at least he's planning, or some sort of um, announcement about local elections and so on. So this is something that Lukashenko is now trying to avoid, but this would definitely come. And after that, I think um, there might be some change because it's really not possible to live in limbo for so long. So the change would, would definitely come. Hanna, as a former journalist for the Belsat TV, the country's first independent TV channel, now of course banned and its content labeled as extremist by national security measures, what can you tell us about the recent crackdown on independent media, including the intimidation tactics used by the security services, be it persecution of journalists, uh, raiding of editorial offices, and etc.? Most important media outlets were also shut down and journalists were pushed out of the country or jailed. So this creates the atmosphere of fear and obviously self-censorship in the country. What they are also doing is um, they are announcing extremists, those um, uh, most important independent media, such as Belsa TV, which you mentioned, which means that for people, it might be even dangerous to read these websites or uh, post something, some information from those websites. And that's kind of their attempt to limit information to sort of um, um, kind of threaten people and provoke scare people and prevent them from, from reading those independent websites. Another side of it is that actually state-run, state-owned TV is not really popular in Belarus. According to some sociological research that we have, only 30% of the population watch state TV and only less than 20% trust actually state TV. So these are really um, very frustrating numbers, I think, for state propaganda and very optimistic numbers, I think, for the democratic forces. So, but what should be done? Obviously, um, there is, even though the information flow would would be in Belarus, it's just not possible to shut it. Um, the information is becoming very fragmented and there is a risk of polarization, which is already happening in Belarus. So it's really important to help independent media to try to preserve them as much as possible because it's, um, it's a disaster at this stage. And if there is no um, civil society, no independent media, then some foreign narratives 
um, including Russian, can be more easily spread in Belarus. So there is a huge danger um, in in the situation. And obviously, journalists in Belarus and those media operating from abroad, they need a lot of assistance. They need support. They need technical assistance. They need equipment because uh, their equipment is being is being constantly confiscated. Uh, there should be really an emergency program that uh, perhaps European countries or US or generally Western countries can propose and can offer to, to independent media something really well-structured, well-thought, something that would deliver help um, both on the ground and to, to those out- outlets that are based now, that relocated to Lithuania, to Poland or to, to even Georgia or Ukraine. So it should be less bureaucratized, it should be really flexible and really urgent because it's um, it's really dangerous to lose the ecosystem of of free media in Belarus. The board's eyes have been on Belarus for the past year. Today all our ears are on Belarus. It's 11th of August 2021. My name is Marysia Tupka and together with Malik Banat and our guests, we're trying to find out what has been achieved by the Belarusian democratic opposition throughout the past year? Despite the intensifying repressions of Lukashenko's regime towards its citizens. Today we have two great guests at our online podcasting studio. Uh, Franak Vechorka, and now senior advisor to Svetlana Tsihanouskaya, the leader of democratic opposition in Belarus. And also we have Michał Potocki, who's a Polish journalist focusing on Ukraine and Belarus. He heads the op-ed section at Dziennik Gazeta Prawna and is also uh, the editor of a collection of stories about Belarusian journalists that we uh, prepared uh, together with 29 other journalists uh, and that was published earlier this week. Uh, so this week, as we all know, marks a year since uh, the rigged elections in Belarus. And so my first question would be on what uh, has changed uh, during that one year in terms of the civil society and uh, the potential for uh, for change of the system in Belarus. I can I can start here. So I think we, we have uh, absolute new quality of the civil society. It's self-organized. It is uh, well-developed with its own infrastructure, with its leaders. And despite the terror, it's still existent. Perhaps it gets more virtual. Uh, Lukashenko managed to destroy offices and uh, NGOs, human rights defendant centers. But in virtual space, you cannot push it uh, um, far. So people, uh, people just inventing new forms. We also see the openness of the new diplomatic track for Belarus. For 27 years, Lukashenko uh, basically cut relationship with, uh, with the entire world. And uh, now Svetlana Tsikhanovska managed to revive these connections, visiting uh, Johnson, Boris in, in London, uh, Joe Biden in, in uh, Washington, and uh, heads of states of most of the European Union countries. Uh, we have several initiatives, uh, such as International Accountability Platform, also Moscow Mechanism, launched by OSCE members, that will help to, uh, to bring perpetrators to justice, as well as to split uh, the elites. And perhaps actually split of elites will be uh, the most important factor for Belarusian changes. And I really hope that this fall, 
one year after everything started. This fall will be um, perhaps uh, crucial and uh, decisive uh, in terms of Belarus transformation because Lukashenko can't stay in power for a long time only uh, relying on terror. How do you envisage this um, split of elites? What exactly would that mean and how that is supposed to happen? You know, for outsider, Lukashenko's uh, regime looks like a power vertical, all loyalists, everyone is afraid. Um, people compare, I don't know, to other totalitarian regimes like Kim, Kim Jong-un or Stalin, but it's different. It's, of course, it's personalistic. It's, of course, built on him, but he's not the youngest one. Uh, plus, uh, for last 10 years, he even did not appoint ministers by himself. Uh, he just brought uh, pure technocrats uh, to the top positions. It means that uh, there are many groups within the nomenclatura, and these groups have very different levels of loyalty. There are red directors managing the state enterprises. There are local administrators, you know, officials of the oblast or rayon in, in Belarus uh, province. Uh, there are uh, oligarchs and businessmen, of course, who managed to live under Lukashenko and to share profits with him. But on the other hand, uh, they, are, they, they will be much more comfortable without him. And what we have to do, we have to work with this, with each of this group and to offer uh, more than Lukashenko can offer in terms of conditions, in terms of openness, freedom, possibilities for themselves. We receive uh, calls and messages from even from those uh, money bags uh, close to Lukashenko who are also looking for the way out. It's incredible what's happening inside. And Miha, what's your judgment um, when it comes to when it comes to that? Well, in, in, in general, I agree with what what has said Franak uh, Vyachorka. I mean, the uh, the main question right now, uh, I mean, the question of of, of winning or, or or failing the revolution, this peaceful revolution in Belarus, is uh, whether uh, it is possible to split this nomenclatura and 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 um, and uh, police and KGB and so on. And uh, last year, uh, it was also the most important question, actually. And um, I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, after, uh, well, what was the uh, uh, what was the calendar? Uh, the, the next step should be the next step after the protest should be to organize the general strike amongst the state enterprises. This this huge one like like Belarus Kali and uh, and so on and uh, i am pretty sure that uh, after success of this uh, general strike we would see we would have seen this uh, split uh, inside the elites the political elites because the general strike uh, didn't happen actually and at this level um, uh, of which of which the opposition hoped um, they didn't uh, decided. Uh, they didn't decide to, to you know, to, to change the the barricades and to uh, to change the the sides uh, with with only some significant but still um, uh, small exemptions as as Pavel Latushka and, and some diplomats, some also members of of of, uh, uh, of of police. So I think the most important question is how to uh, how to how to um, encourage the elites to uh, to change the sides uh, probably 
as uh, probably it, it 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 wouldn't happen without uh, without without tough sanctions and without strong economic problems of the regime because uh, because uh, um, well i think that uh, the uh, currently i mean based on this level of repressions of persecutions of uh, anyone who is uh, independently thinking or acting in Belarus the main risk for the uh, for the regime is uh, uh, is an economic crisis uh, without tough sanctions it would be hard to cause uh, the economic crisis and uh, probably it's all you know it all depends on on um, on it also i'm wondering how viable how possible really the like encouraging this the split of the elites is right now in the light of the another strong ground of repressions towards civil society and activists and journalists. For example, Svetlana Alexievich is uh, comparing the situation in Belarus right now to being um, to one being on the brink of the civil war, and she compares it to uh, Yugoslavia. Uh, just before the war broke out. How long would it take for the regime to really fall apart in the light of the current repressions? Or is this the kind of, it has to get worse before it gets better uh, situation? You know, the truth is that no one knows what will happen and what will bring the regime to the collapse. No one knows which scenario will be. No one uh, knows when. Uh, is it a matter of days, weeks, or months? Uh, and anything, every word of Lukashenko, any action of people uh, can be such trigger. Uh, if you watched uh, Lukashenko's eight hours uh, speech, a talk to Belarusian people on August 10, you could see that he is not very confident. Uh, he doesn't know what to expect. And his uh, strategy does not exist at all. I don't know how you perceived, you know, his words about willingness to negotiate and to talk. I, I took it as the as the sign of uh, desperation. Uh, how we so we can't tell for sure, you know, how much it will take to split elites. But what we can do, we can increase chances. It will it will happen earlier. We can continue inspiring people, organizing structures, building underground resistance, resistance, also encouraging people for sabotage, for public disobedience, all those things which keep the system in stress. But on the other hand, which seems to be much more important at this point, uh, to put economic pressure. And this is something very painful. After force package of sanctions uh, was adopted two months ago, and now UK-US sanctions were added. It, it, it created very new situation, very new context, where, when uh, whole branches of economy uh, could be paralyzed. And uh, these this new sanctions, I think they could um, create this uh, um, risk of, of collapse uh, closer to September or October. I don't mean that, you know, in September, October, we will become a democratic country, but at some point, Lukashenko will have to make concessions. And my personal prediction will be this, um, this two months, September, October. At least we can, um, we can expect something which can lead to further dialogue. He just gave this eight hour long speech that, um, is kind of a proof of him 
losing perhaps uh, losing his confidence, but also what he has proved to the international community is that he's fairly uh, unpredictable. And an example of that is um, what's happening now on the Belarusian-Lithuanian border and might soon be uh, happening also on the uh, border with Poland. Do you think that these kinds of tactics give Lukashenko any leverage or is he able to at least create a considerable uh, problem on the EU border? And perhaps uh, Michal could refer to that since I know that he's just visited the, the border towns in Lithuania. I did. So last week I was I was in several towns on the Lithuanian-Belarusian uh, border. Well, uh, to be honest, I didn't watch this entire eight-hour speech last week, but last day. But let, let me let me just just tell um, uh, one sentence until I go to this to this Lithuanian uh, topic and migra- migration topic. Uh, what was pretty clear to me, well, you know, Lukashenko sometimes sometimes uh, is saying uh, uh, far more things that he, he should say. And and yesterday I had the feeling that, uh, that inside the presidential administration, inside the elites, um, they were many uh, people who were critical towards uh, what what is happening in Belarus, and he he claimed it several times yesterday. So I'm pretty sure that uh, he is getting more and more uh, lonely uh, in his um, also inside the elites, and uh, probably uh, what has what has uh, Franak Vecherka said that if uh, these uh, um, uh, results of this fourth package of sanctions would be as uh, Mm, as as huge as as uh, as, uh, as as the hopes are, uh, it is possible that it will encourage at least some uh, people from his uh, uh, from his from his uh, from this political elite to to at least try to to somehow um, communicate with 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 the West. Um, we will see, of course. Uh, and uh, going back to the topic of the of the of of, of migrants, of course. It is it is it is a huge problem. I mean, Lukashenko managed to cause a huge problem for Lithuania because Lithuania is a rather small country with no infrastructure uh, to uh, to to you know to to at least to to if, even even to give these thousands of migrants place a safe place to you know to 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 to, to spend nights. And of course, when you when you talk to uh, Lithuania politicians, um, I talked to uh, to to the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Lithuania. Of Lithuania, Mr. Gabrielius Landsbergis, and he told me that uh, Lithuania, in fact, is ready to uh, um, uh, to. Well, he he didn't use the word a deal with Belarus, but I feel that there is a proposal that you will stop these migrant uh, um, uh, inflows towards Lithuania, and we can talk about 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 um, not promoting another packages of sanctions and i think i think that's the proof that even weak lukashenko and he's i mean in his weakest period of 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 all times could still harm uh, european security lithuanian security but not only lithuanian also polish security and uh, in fact the first sign that he's managed that he, that he that he's able to do this was the story of the ryanair flight from athens to vilnius because it was internal european flight um, with many eu citizens on board 
And only after this, the European leaders decided to put a serious package of sanctions towards Belarus against the Belarusian, Belarusian regime. Uh, I mean, you know, when you when you compare uh, a story of one flight to uh, hundreds and thousands of people tortured on on uh, in, in in the police in in arrest and so on and so forth, still tortures are quite you know. Uh, it, it, it is a higher level of, 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 of persecutions, but but nevertheless, only 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 after the European Union uh, has uh, you know has been harmed or the or, or, or it was the feeling that the security of the European Union citizens is uh, is in danger, they started to act more decisively. And this un- unpredictability of the Belarusian regime, if you know, the more unpredictable Lukashenko is. Uh, the more possible the change in Belarus is, and the more possible is uh, also the change in, I don't know, supporting him by the Kremlin, which is also the, uh, which is one of the causes that he he managed to to still be in power in Minsk. Uh, so I think that the regime, one one other sign of of being desperate from uh, from 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 the side of Lukashenko is that he is. Uh, he is uh, starting to to make uh, you know more and more mistakes. Uh, I'm pretty sure that uh, uh, the agony of the regime has started already in August 2020 or even a few months uh, earlier. Uh, but the main question is uh, how how long this agony could uh, could last. Uh, the uh, Example of Poland of the 80s suggests that it could be also several years, you know, of, 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 of pretty clear agony of the regime. I am not sure if we should wait 10 years for, for Belarusian regime to collapse. I think it would, it would happen earlier. But I think right now it's rather the matter of still one, two, three years, not months, rather. Um, but I am not... Uh, Actually, I'm not afraid of the scenario that you that you mentioned of I don't know Yugoslavia or a civic war because you know to uh, uh, to make a civic war you should have a uh, clear division in in the society regi- regional division uh, ethnic division political division um, I cannot say that even those people who are who still supports Alexander Lukashenko are ready to you know to take uh, weapon and and fight against uh, against current opposition. I, I think it's not going to happen for uh, maybe not for sure, but we cannot be sure of anything. But but still, it's the possibility of such scenario is is highly uh, is highly low. You both mentioned sanctions uh, of the West, and uh, Franak um, also mentioned um, Tsihanouskaya's meetings with Joe Biden, among among many others. And so, I wonder whether you think that the West should take a harder stance towards, even harder, toward Belarus, whether the sanctions will be effective in in uh, bringing change sanctions are not a silver bullet but this is the leverage the west has and um, how the sanctions are employed uh, how which sectors they target uh, it will define the the their efficiency so only two sanctions which will be coordinated and joined between major actors because ukraine eu us and uk uh, creates 36 percent uh, of Belarus exports. So it's a huge, huge leverage. And most of these exports fall into uh, four major sectors, like oil, potash, um, banking sector, 
and um, and uh, steel. Uh, what we are trying to do right now, we are trying to help our democratic allies to design such sanctions which will be um, hitting people near Lukashenko and also which will be strong enough um, in order to split the elites. Uh, we are trying to explain that sanctions is not about punishing. Sanctions is about changing behavior. And I think what we achieved in the last uh, few months, uh, along with our Western partners, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, of course, sanctions are not enough to change, to bring Belarus to democracy. This is why it should be balanced somehow with assistance. And assistance uh, for media, civil society, families of repressed becomes very difficult, uh, especially uh, when, we, when we want to pass this uh, support to Belarus. Lukashenko um, closed the borders. He basically controls all the NGOs working with the West. And it's almost impossible to transfer any funds to Belarus. And I think we are struggling right now actually on solving this problem. And we faced many, many other challenges. For example, um, working with the cryptocurrency thing, because um, uh, uh, cryptocurrency is perhaps the safest way uh, to, to, um, uh, to, to support uh, groups and organizations. For example, we, we crowdfund uh, resources in order to help people on the ground. But unfortunately, because of many regulations and um, uh, and Lukashenko's secret services work, it becomes more and more difficult. So these are, these are major challenges we are facing right now. The West uh, to impose sanctions, which will be targeting and which will not have loopholes, and at the same time balancing with assistance. When it comes to supporting independent media and journalists, uh, we've seen uh, another round of repressions towards uh, media organizations and journalists and also Belarusian um, journalists being targeted outside of Belarus. Uh, and I wonder what do you think can be done to, to support the message of democracy in Belarus and how we can help Belarusian journalists and dissidents to keep on working? I think to host and to receive them in, in the capitals and cities where they come. Uh, many of them lost their uh, places in Belarus and Minsk and other cities and moved to Kiev. Many moved to Georgia, to Warsaw, of course, and other cities, and Lithuania and Latvia. And it's very important to help them to uh, relaunch operations, uh, to continue do, uh, doing what they did before. Um, also, they face many bureaucratic challenges like visas, work permits, um, and uh, in Lithuania, for example, like bank accounts, you know, and all these um, th routine things, they paralyze work of this organization, these relocants um, who fled the country recently. So the most important to give them space. I'm happy that... Um, there are several uh, Belarus organizations in Warsaw, uh, like Belarusian House and Centrum Belaruski uh, Solidarnosti. There is a willingness mm -hmm. of the Czech government to open Belarusian center office of Svetlana Tsikhanovskaya, which will uh, apparently become such place. There are programs for Belarusian experts, analysts in, in Slovakia, 
also, of course, academic programs and universities can be also place temporary place for uh, experts um, who who fled the country. Um, uh, you know, I think that it's about creating spaces, spaces and opportunities to let them continue what they did. And uh, Michal, I would also use this chance to ask you about the project that you've been working on, which is a collection of stories about Belarusian journalists, uh, heroes and her heroines. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, uh, we have uh, just published a book about about Belarusian journalists and uh, through and by the by the biographies, by their uh, personal stories we are trying to show the uh, uh, to show the Polish reader uh, uh, something more about the reality of of of, of Belarusian uh, of Belarusian civic society in fact uh today but also but also yesterday i mean some of these stories are about uh, journalists and about about uh, what happened to them you know a few years later there is also a story of uh, Pavel Sharamet who has been killed in kiev in 2016 and uh, thanks to uh, thanks to some uh, this year uh revelations we know that it is possible that the belarusian secret services could uh, could 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 uh, um, could have something in common with his with his killing and uh, we unite 29 journalists from different polish media uh, we decided to work for free uh, and uh, in order to uh, you know uh, to give all of the money that could be earned by thanks to this book to to give them to for for independent independent belarusian uh, media and journalists who are you know moral support is, uh, is 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 one thing but financial support is uh, is another thing and our project is uh, aim of our project is to is to is to give this uh, support both uh, financially and and morally to our colleagues and friends many of them are in prison uh, almost 30 uh, 30 journalists and 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 uh, uh, workers and media workers are right now in 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 prisons uh, in Belarus many of them had to emigrate uh, some of them are still in Belarus trying to work but uh, we perfectly understand that they are in in danger of you know every day that someone could could come and and, and arrest him arrest them so i think uh, well it was it was we, we, we thought how how can we how can we help uh, many of our friends when asked what can be done for them uh, told us that you know just keep keep talking about us keep talking about what's happening in Belarus don't forget uh, and this book is a sign that we do not forget and we are keep uh, and we, 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 we keep uh, we keep saying to our readers and watchers about what's happening in Belarus. Thank you, Michal. I would also add that uh, Visegrad Insight team contributed one chapter to that project and we are looking forward to having that book published also in English and then other languages. That's the plan. On that note, I would like to thank you both for this conversation and we'll be keeping an eye on what's going on in Belarus and keeping our fingers crossed. 